Welcome to Neil Wood. <laughs> That's funny. Take this thing off real quick. Good morning. Whew. It's been a busy morning. That was fun, though. Um, so today uh, is, I don't know if you guys have heard about it, but it's actually Orphan Sunday. Um, so I want to tell you a little bit about what that is and kind of how it started. Um, how many of you were here last year when we did like a community impact Sunday? Do you remember that at all? Talking about foster care, that sort of thing. Okay. So um, Orphan Sunday got started years ago just to bring awareness around um, orphans in other part of the world as well as uh, kids in foster care here. Um, and I actually feel, like to think about it as not just kids in care, but kids in need, right? Um, because a lot of times... Uh, kids may not actually go into care, but they actually need that same type of love. So, so oftentimes this uh, month's theme is gather the harvest, right? Awesome. So we think of gather the harvest with all kinds of different kinds of programs that we can reach people and that sort of thing. And those are needed, right? Those things are really important, but that's not the only way to gather the harvest, right? There's lots of different ways. Um, so today I want to kind of share with you a few of those things. I want to introduce uh, with a video, though. Um, so we're going to watch that real quick. I was an orphan. I was an orphan. I was an orphan. I didn't know my father. I was alone. Helpless. Helpless. I had no family. I didn't belong to anyone. To anyone. To anyone. I was an orphan. No one saw me. No one knew me. I was invisible. I was lost. I was lost. No one claimed me. No one said, he's mine. She's mine. I was an orphan. I was an orphan. I was hungry. Like all the food in the world couldn't fill me up. I was vulnerable. Unprotected, at risk, cold, tired. Tired. I'm tired. I thought I didn't matter. I thought no one cared. No one cared. I was an orphan. I was an orphan. I was an orphan. But I was found. But I was found. I was found. Someone stepped in. Someone saw me. I was sought. Pursued. Wanted. No. I was an orphan. But now I belong. Now I belong. Now I belong. I'm embraced. A sister. A brother. I know my father. I know my father. I know my father. I was an orphan. But I am loved. At great cost. I am restored. I am restored. And for the first time, I know that I am valued. Prized. Forever. 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 I was an orphan. I was an orphan. I was an orphan. We're all orphans. So I care for orphans. So I care for orphans. I was an orphan. So I care for orphans. Yeah, right? Like, doesn't that just get you, like, pumped up? Like, that's exactly, isn't that part of what the harvest is all about? Um, that we belong somewhere. We have a place. We have a family. We have a home. 
Um, and whether that be in a, a home itself or people walk into Dayspring and they feel like family, they feel like home, right? So what does it mean to be a harvester? Um, I kind of wanted to tie this in with our theme, right? And um, my family is all from Iowa. Um, so if you can imagine, there's fields everywhere. Um, my stepdad actually works in the field. And so every year there's a part of that where he's gone long days harvesting the field, right? But that's not his only job throughout the year when he works that field. Like um, throughout the year, right as soon as harvest ends, his job is not over. He may take a few days. But after that, they're preparing the soil for next year. They're adding whatever they need to do. They buy the seed. They plant the seed. They nurture the seed. They make sure it has water and everything it needs, make sure there's not weeds and all that kind of stuff, right? So their job is year-round, and it has all kinds of different duties, all kinds of different assignments for that harvest to be able to be possible. If they didn't do all those other things and other people didn't help, that harvest would actually not come, right? So what does this all have to do with Orphan Sunday? Um, because I feel like we all have a part to play in reaching kids in our community, in our areas, wherever we are, right? And I think sometimes we can limit God a little bit or limit ourselves by putting what we think needs to happen in a, in a box or thinking too big sometimes, right? Um, if we look at a field and just say we had no tractor, no, none of that, right? We look at a field and we're like, oh, it needs to be harvested. We can go out and, you know, pick a couple of things of corn and be like, huh, well, that's too big for me. I'm just going to stay away from that thing, <laughs> right? Um, but, you know, if we give the, if everybody does their own little part, then the harvest can happen, right? So um, one of the uh, quotes I found when I was kind of preparing for this is uh, Frank Clark wrote, everyone is trying to accomplish something big, not realizing that life is made up of little things. And then one more quote, I just love quotes. <laughs> How do we change the world? One random act of kindness at a time, right? So if each person played their role, then even those who do full-time foster care, which to us a lot of times seems like that's the biggest role or caseworkers or whatever, that's the biggest thing that they can do, even they will make those jobs easier if we all played our small role in, in our communities. Does that make sense? Okay. So what can we do, right? So um, one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this is um, I don't know what started it, but as a teenager, I always wanted to, I had a dream to change the system. Um, I saw a need in the system, like the, it's broken a little bit, right? And so I always wanted to see the church kind of take over the foster system, um, but that's a, that's big. That's a big dream, right? Like that's a, that's a big thing to do, and it requires all kinds of things nationwide, right? So when I went to college, and after college, I, I, I still had that dream in my heart, but I wasn't sure what I could do because it's too big for me, right? Um, so a couple years ago, I started to be aware of some of the other things in our community that I could get involved with, right? So again, remember, it's little things, right, that help the big picture, so I started to get involved with Sammy's Window, um, and I know some of these things are going to be repeats from last year, but there's going to be some stuff added. So, um, so Sammy's Window is a, 
organization that helps foster families. Um, they provide clothes and hygiene items and um, uh, socks and shoes and underwear and coats and all kinds of things for a foster or adoptive family once a month, right? Um, so when I would go, I would spend three hours a week, not a huge amount of time, um, and I would sort clothes and hang clothes up and put clothes out and take hangers down and, and that sort of thing. And, um, you know, a lot of times we would think something like that. Uh, I didn't have a huge amount of impact on the kids or the families that came in themselves. Once in a great while I did. But my, my goal was to just serve the ones who serve. Does that make sense? So, um, so I, I want to help those who are on the front lines. We don't always have to be on the front lines to make a difference. We can help those and push those forward that are on the front lines, right? And then also Royal Family Kids. Oh my goodness, such a great organization. So each year this uh, place holds a camp for kids that have had any kind of experience in foster care. Um, th their whole goal for the whole week is to show these kids that God loves them and that they have, they're special, they're unique, they have value, right? Um, so each counselor is assigned two kids for the entire week. So just two kids. Most camps, you know, you have 10 kids, but we have two um, so that we can be really personal with them. We throw them a birthday party. Um, they have presents. They have a cake with their own name on it. The whole week is just pounding into them that they're special. They're unique. They have value, right? So, you know, we only see these kids five days a year, um, but the testimonies that come from those kids is that those five days were the best five days of their lives, right? They, they knew that they had value because of those five days out of the year. Also, this year they started a Teen Reach Adventure Camp, which is like awesome. Teens from 12 to 15, um, which is, I feel like, such an uh, important part of their lives, their identity lives, right? Um, they will come for two days, and we... Uh, Basically, usually we have camp. We did it as day camp this year because of the times. Um, but uh, we have ropes courses for them and challenges. And the whole goal is to get them to a place where they can be vulnerable and open. Um, by the end of this camp, we had, you know, girls sharing about how, you know, they felt like uh, they weren't wanted because the last time they saw their dad, their dad said they never really wanted them. Right, so we were able to speak truth into that to a 15 to uh, 12 to 15 year old, right? So just imagine the impact, though, that if we can speak truth into that at that point, how many years, you know, how many of us as adults still deal with things that we wish we would have taken care of as kids, right? But we were able to speak truth right into that situation, and, and really, that one is two days and a day of training. And you can impact these kids, right? And then we also have CASA, which I love CASA. Um, CASA is a program. It's court-appointed special advocate. So basically, you get to be um, the voice of the child to the judge. So your whole goal is to take a kiddo in foster care or a sibling group and um, get to know them, get to know everybody in their sphere of influence, their teacher, their parents, their grandparents, aunts, uncles, whatever, um, whoever's in their sphere of influence. And um, you get to 
try to figure out what's in their best interest. How can we help them? Do they have needs? Do they, are they getting everything they need from school or from uh, whatever they need, right? Um, and then when court comes, you get to tell the judge, you know what, I've, I've seen this and this and this, and I think this is the best interest for this child. Or if they have desires that they don't feel are being heard, you get to be their voice. The other part of this is that you get to be that consistent person in their lives. You know, these, unfortunately, you know, the system, I'm glad we have it because um, it is needed, right? But there's always going to be flaws where God isn't in control, right? Um, so um, some of these kids go through home after home after home. And, and you know, they don't have a consistent voice in their lives. So if, if they could have one person who's consistent, even if they have to go through many different homes, it changes everything for them. So just a few statistics I wanted to give you guys, because um, a lot of times if we, we aren't involved, um, we don't know exactly what we're dealing with, right? We don't know what the reality is. So a few statistics. On any given day, there are nearly 424,000 children in foster care in the U.S. In 2019, over 672,000 children spent time in care. On average, children remain in care for over a year and a half. 5% of children have been in care consistently for five years or more. More than 85% of children in foster care have had a minimum of two different placements within the first 12 months. I actually knew of a kiddo last year who was nine years old and had 17 different homes that she had been in so far. Um, so you can imagine these are, these are hard kids to deal with sometimes. They have emotional stuff that they have to work through. But, you know, we were singing. I wrote it down, actually, because I, I was like, man, that is the song. Um, no other hope can crush the fear in our souls, right? We have living hope inside of us that these kids desperately need, and that's the only way they're actually going to remain free for the rest of their lives. Okay, so more than 23,000 kids age out of the U.S. foster care system every year. So that means they turn 18 and they're on their own, right? Only 3% of kids who age out will earn a college degree. One in two kids who age out will develop a substance abuse problem. Seven out of 10 girls will become pregnant before the age of 21. 60% of boys have been convicted of a crime, and one out of five will be homeless before they turn 18. Okay, so I don't say these to make it like doom and gloom type of thing, right? But this is reality. Like, this is what's happening with these kiddos. Um, so before we go on, um, I want to have, I want to listen to another video. This is about CASA and what their job is. And I want you to, just to see how much of it like mirrors the heart of the father. To a child silenced by injustice, I am a voice. To a child with whom the world has broken faith, I am someone to believe in. To a child who knows only rejection, 
I am unconditional acceptance. To a child lost in a nightmare, I am permission to dream. Amid confusion, I am certainty. Amid instability, constancy. Amid cynicism and shame, I am innocence restored. In a dark labyrinth of bureaucracy, I am a way through. A steady arm around the shoulder, a calming voice in the ear. Where others are moved to pity, I am moved to action. I am as quick to confront the powerful as I am to comfort the powerless. Though I may be visited by discouragement, I do not play host to despair. I do not relent. I do not back down. I do not give up. In a system of shifting loyalties, my loyalty never wavers. For while my appointment may come from a court, my calling comes from within. To the child neglected, the child abused, the child cast upon the mercy of an often merciless system, I am heart and caring and courage personified. I am a CASA volunteer. It always brings tears to my eyes. Um, but listen to a few things they said, what they started out with. To a child silenced by injustice, I am a voice. To a child with whom the world has broken faith, I am someone to believe in. To a child who knows only rejection, I am unconditional acceptance. And to a child lost in a nightmare, I am permission to dream. Like that's who we've been made to be, is to be that heart of the father to these kids, right? So being a CASA worker only involves about five hours a month. And you can actually sign up with, um, as a married couple even, or as like a couple of friends. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, a side note, if you're an intercessor, um, there is a need for your prayers uh, around this whole system, right? As I was training for CASA last year, I sat in some um, trials, um, some cases, and um, I can't imagine... Um, you know, we have one judge that oversees most of our uh, cases, uh, Judge Hosmer, um, and I can't imagine the, the amount of weight he carries with every single case that he reads. Like, he reads all the case notes for each of these children, and I mean, hearing a few of those cases, sometimes it's like heart-wrenching, right? But he sees these, and he makes decisions on them every single day. So, Please be praying for him and all of our caseworkers. I mean, they're the same way. They hear all these stories. They deal with these kiddos all the time. They need our prayers. Actually, if, if you are involved in foster care in any way, whether that be a caseworker, a foster parent, uh, a grandma raising a grandkiddo or whatever, could you actually just stand real quick? Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So, 
And we have more within our body that have been involved. But as you guys saw those people, talk to them. Listen to some stories. Listen to their hearts. Figure out, like, what, what is something we can do for them, right? So CASA is not a Christian organization, right? Uh, and I think a lot of times that keeps us from getting involved. Um, but we don't go into it. Uh, with the agenda of speaking the gospel, we go into it with the Father's heart and letting the Father's heart just exude out of us, right? I just wonder um, how our city, our state, our nation would look in 10 years if we were to come alongside the kids in care, and like this video, right? And we were to give them the truth of who they are. I wonder if this wouldn't address our long-term issues of homelessness, of abortion, of crime rates, you know, it, of substance abuse. It may not eliminate everything, right? But it can make a huge impact. But we have to start now, not when they're 18, uh, right? Like, now is the time. We carry the DNA of a Christian, uh, as a Christian, of living hope. We need to be sharing that living hope with these kids. There are so many other ways to get involved. So I've covered a few in pretty good detail, but um, there's also some other ways. So foster parents, right? Not everybody is called to be a foster parent, and that's totally okay. But what I would say is don't let that instant fear uh, keep you from doing something, right? So the, the thing that says, I don't have what it takes, and... Um, Let's just be honest, we don't have what it takes. We ourselves don't have what it takes. We never will, right? But the Father does, and he lives inside of us and gives us the power to do anything he's called us to do. It's the same message that we were just talking about. No other hope can crush the fear in our souls. Um, respite care. Um, I've been a respite provider uh, for quite a few years now. And it's such a blessing to foster families. And if you talk to a foster parent, you will um, hear that, that it's really nice to have people around you that can take the kids in a safe place and just give them a few days off. Um, so foster parents get two, most of them get two days a month where they can um, have some time away. And so you can actually set your own schedule for this. Um, I, I've had some kids come to me. Sometimes I've done it every a weekend for, you know, once a month for the whole year. And this last year, I think I did it a couple times. So it's totally up to you. Um, it can be on your schedule. Um, Ambassadors for Children. This is actually a program run by the Council of Churches. They have many different volunteer opportunities, including kids' closets, help with social media, Christmas program every year where they need help, organizing data entry, even answering their phones at their offices. Um, we mentioned Royal Family Kids, um, and then just the little things, right? So even if we go past organizations, um, get to know a caseworker, get to know a foster family. Um, what can you do for them? Can you pray for them? Can you support them? Can you bring them a lunch? Can you bring them a dinner? How about when they get a new placement, you take care of that dinner for the family for that night, or even the next day, or do they have the clothes that they need for a new placement? You know, are they getting a baby? Do they need to find a crib? Like, these are types of things that um, if, if everybody was to do a little bit, a foster family would be able to do things with ease at that point. So there are so many different places we have. Um, 
will you put up that slide, Debbie, with all the different places on there? Um, we have Isabel's House, Harmony House, Cherish Kids, Victim Center, all kinds of different community organizations. Um, so choose something. Like, um, you know, a lot of times we wait until something falls in our laps. Um, but I feel like this is a, a, a mandate for the church to get involved in some way or another. doesn't have to be big, right? But somehow we can impact a child around us. So my main message here, um, today is not a message of you should do this. It's, a, it's really a, a message of dream with God, right? Hear his heart for the kids around us. Um, so... I am, I'm really passionate about this, if you can tell. Um, I know the impact that an adult can make on a child's life. Um, so when I was a kid, I um, went to a church camp, and there was a camp counselor there that really took me under his wing and taught me what it was um, to know the Father's love. And um, this was a time where my dad was on drugs and alcohol and all that kind of stuff, and so there was things going on, and, um, you know, I know for me, if it wasn't for him consistently every single year, I looked forward to that camp week, right? If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have stayed close to God. Um, the love of the Father in him introduced me to the love of God. Um, because of this, when things were crazy in my house, I drew close to God, not pushed him away, right? I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for him. So one person can make a difference in someone's life, even if it's five days out of a year, right? Um, I'll be posting some uh, different organizations and, like, websites that you can get involved with. And so I want to leave you with one quote. When you empower people, you're not influencing just them. You're influencing all the people that they influence. So leave a legacy not just to your own kids, but to the kids in our community. Thank you. So now we get to hear from the amazing Shannon Yarnell, which leads up our Day Spring School. Thank you, you guys. Man, Tennille, you made me cry. <laughs> now I have to get my head in the game for what I have to say. <laughs> um, a little bit about myself. For those of you who don't know me, I am the director of Dayspring Christian School. Um, I am also the wife to Sean. We've been married for 25 years, going on 26. We have Three children, two adult children, and then a little six-year-old. He was our big surprise, and it's been a blast. <laughs> um, I've been in the realm of education. This is my 20th year that I'm in at this point working in some form of education. My passion has always been private Christian schools, although I do have affiliation with all of the public schools and some partnerships with the universities as well here. But... Um, Oh, I'm nervous. Um, so a little bit before they, Tennille called me and asked me if I would talk about um, how to impact a child. And that is one of my, 
probably greatest passions and life missions. And um, and I'm blessed that God gives me an opportunity every day to get get to wake up and do it. Um, a lot of it comes from my upbringing. I was not raised in a Christian home, and um, I spent a lot of time building a very strong testimony for God, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Just lots of, when, when he reached his hand out of heaven and grabbed me, I um, knew without a shadow of a doubt that he was real and um, that he just carries an enormous amount of unconditional love and grace. Um, so when I had my radical salvation experience, which is a story for another day, it's, it's a really cool story. Um, because I had not been raised in church, I'm from Southern California, things are done very differently in that area of the country. And not being raised in church, um, really around Christians or the Bible, when I had my radical salvation experience, the Lord audibly spoke Jeremiah 29, 11 to me. But I didn't know that that even existed in the Bible until three years later when I was sitting in a little Baptist church in Springfield, Missouri. And the pastor said it, and I was like, Sean, that's what God said to me. That's what he said to me. And when he spoke to me and told me he had a plan for me, he said I had to choose right then, and he couldn't promise that it would be easy, but it would be amazing. So I said yes, fast forward, um, exactly 12 months from the time I had that encounter with God, I was married, had our first child, and was living in the state of Missouri. So we do things hard and fast in the Arnell house. <laughs> so here we are in Missouri where things are done a lot different, and I kept trying to fit into this mold and just going to God and saying, you know, all I ever wanted to do was be a wife, a mother, and if you could give me one more thing, a teacher. I just, family and children are my greatest passion, and that's the lasting impact I want to make, but I don't fit into this mold in this Bible belt. Like, I just don't, I don't fit into it, God, so how do I fit? And he spoke to me, Isaiah 61, and he said, I'm giving you a new commission. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. I'm with you, Shannon, because I anointed you. And you will bring good news to the poor. You will bind up the brokenhearted, and you will proclaim that captives will be free. And you will release prisoners from darkness. And he showed me he was going to do it using the excuse of education, which was amazing, absolutely amazing. As an educator, we spend more time with kids than most parents do as far as waking hours go. The amount of influence we have, and it is not about education. God's using it as an excuse for us to train up kids for his kingdom, to impact them, to impart into them what he has given us. Every single one of us have something to impart, whether it is a child that is in care, it is in a child that is in a Christian home. Guys, just because a kid's in a Christian home doesn't mean there isn't suitcases and messes. We all bring a suitcase everywhere we go, and it needs to be unpacked. So regardless of where that child is, we have something that we are supposed to deposit in them. So he showed me we were going to do a new type of education. It was going to be an education of the heart. 
um, training of a kid's heart, and he promised me in Isaiah 61.4 that it would rebuild ancient ruins. It would restore places that have been long since devastated, and it would renew ruined cities that devastated generations. And he said, what I am doing and what I am calling you to is not just about the child in front of you. It's about the generations. And I was like, okay, let's do this. <laughs> not knowing what I was getting myself into. Oh, my goodness. Um, so as I asked him, I was like, well, how do we do this, God? And he's like, show up. I show up for you. Show up. Meet them where they're at. Love is messy. Freedom culture is messy. Show up. Look through my lens and quit seeking your own agenda for what you have and start seeking my agenda. When we put aside our expectations and we pick up his expectations, it radically can change the world. Radically change the world. Did I miss my statistic? Yes. Okay, so I found this statistic that I want to share with you guys. I read, I love statistics, and I read a lot of different research um, just asking the Lord about our sphere of influence and the way that we can impact. And I actually grabbed one of the smallest statistics that I found. Um, I myself thought that each of us had the potential of reaching 100 people. But as I read and started reading all these articles, um, a recent study by Cornell says that we have the ability to reach upwards 10,000 people just by ourselves in our lifetime. So I did some math for my school, and I thought, huh, we have 185 students and staff members over across the campus that we meet with every single day and a lot of times on weekends we're we're like a family over there so what would happen if we equipped every single one of us and we partnered together as a community lord what could the reach be one million eight hundred and fifty thousand people that's powerful so as i was seeking him questions. God, what do you say about kids and what do you say about your kingdom? Luke 18, 16, but Jesus called for the little ones saying, allow the children to come to me and do not forbid them. And I'm like, God, what does it mean? What are you talking about for us to forbid them? It's a really good question. If you have a child in your life that you have any influence over to ask him, Am I forbidding my child in any way to come to you? Because when we pick up our agenda and we put down the Lord's, we do tend to forbid kids to have contact with God without even realizing it. Um, Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Mark 10, 15, truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. I double quoted that. It must have been important to me. <laughs> but you think about that. That's a pretty bold statement. Why is God asking us to be like children? Children are amazing. 
They are incredible from the littlest of them to the biggest of them. I get so offended when I hear people talk about teenagers, when I hear parents say, oh, well, my kids are going to be in their teenage years. Teenagers are amazing. They're amazing. Let's quit bagging on our teenagers. They are incredible human beings. Kids know how to love hard, play hard, and live hard. And most importantly, they do not take themselves so seriously the way adults do. They just have a simple faith. It's a simple faith. It's absolutely incredible. They're always present in their moments. They may not always appear to be, but they are. And if you sit down and talk to them, man, they'll refocus like that. I've been working with kids from every demographic for the last 20 years. And there's always a consistency to the way children behave and interact. Kids from care. I mean, even the toughest of toughest stories and traumas and abuses from the kids that come from homes where, you know, they don't want for anything. There are consistencies within our kids that God has designed them with because kids are a part of God's creative plan. That he's, they're a part of his plan. They're gifts. God has given children to us as a gift. What would happen if we started to look at them that way? As a gift, as a heritage. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they are older, they will not depart from it. Well, that's easier said than done sometimes, because raising kids, hanging out with kids, whether you're a parent whether you're a mentor, a Sunday school teacher, it's challenging and you get weary at times. But if we don't lose sight of what God has called us to do, which is to impact and impart to the next generation, it will not leave them. Even if we don't see it in the moment as they're being raised, it does not leave them. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction to the Lord. Fathers, do not antagonize your children because he doesn't want them to become discouraged. Those are some more really good questions to ask yourself as you're seeking God and interacting with kids. They are so impressionable, and I know I've provoked my kids. I know I've discouraged my kids. That generally happens when I lay down God's goggles, and I put on my own, and I start trying to do it without him. Loving kids unconditionally is really messy work, and if you are not fully relying on God, it's nearly impossible. I mean, it just, you can't sustain that grace-filled attitude to meet them where they're at unless you're fully reliant on the Lord. So how do you make a lasting impact? It starts with us. We're the adults. We're the ones that have been put here and given this gift from God to impact them and to impart into them. So we need to start by examining our own hearts, our own expectations, and our own agendas to the child that we are influencing in our life. So many times we approach, myself included, and in working with parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and caregivers and social workers. For the last 20 years, I've watched adults approach kids the way they were approached. 
Do you know nine times out of ten, an adult will tell you when you sit down and talk to them privately, man, I hated when my mom did that. Well, then why are you doing it? Why are you repeating the cycle? Stop it. Break it. You have the authority and the power to stop it and break it. A lot of times we respond to them out of a fear response or an offense response. So before you have to interact with a kiddo that may be tough to love or is a sticky situation or not something you were expecting, I highly, highly recommend going before God first and saying, I need to lay my agenda down and I need to see through your eyes right now what you want me to do in this situation. One of the things the Lord showed me a few years ago um, was that I could not, for what he was calling me to do for his kingdom, I had to lay down ever being surprised, shocked, angered, or offended by a child's behavior, regardless of their age. Have to lay it down. Cannot enter into any relationship that way with a, a child. And it was really cool because as he brought me through the process, he began to show me that I needed to, when I saw behavior, look past the behavior into the heart of the child because the behavior was nothing other than a gift from God that had been twisted. And I was like, what? Show me more about this, God. And as I began to walk in this with him, I would have a kiddo that would maybe have a problem with honesty. Just a pathological liar. Can't trust a thing that comes out of his mouth. And I would say, Lord, what do you want me to do with this kid? And he'd say, oh, Shannon, he carries a gift of truthfulness. He actually is going to preach truth for me and my kingdom when he has breakthrough. So call it out. The kid that can't keep them hand, the hands to themselves, I know we've all probably experienced one that pockets everything they can, and you're just like, oh, another day, are they ever going to break through? And God's like, yeah, because they carry a gift of generosity. They are insanely generous. Call it out. Call out the truth. That's how we impact kids. Don't get stuck on the behavior. See, pass the behavior into the heart of the child and call out what's true and teach them how to identify that and to begin to call that out. That's identity. That's an opportunity for identity. It would be so much easier for us to just get miffed off and, you know, ground them for a week. This is the messy stuff that sometimes you don't see fruit for years when you do it this way. Years and years and years. It's, I am in a place where it's really cool to have been teaching long enough to where I've now got students that are, you know, they've got graduate degrees, they're married, they've got kids, it's so weird. And some of those kids were some of my hardest kids and I'm still in contact with them now. And I'm like, 20 years later, there's fruit. But, you know, it's a long 20 years. <laughs> so, but... When you look in a child's soul and you see them the way God sees them, it's powerful. It doesn't mean you throw discipline out. Punishment's easy and punishment's different than discipline. Discipline is discipling. It is discipling and that is what we are called to do to impact any child in our life. Um, I highly recommend, I'm looking at the time so I'm going to skip through some of this. If the goal is to train up a child in the way they should go, so that it doesn't depart from them. Um, if you have never looked into love and logic, 
that curriculum does a great job of um, what I'm talking about here, which is disciplining a child but giving a logical discipline so that you're helping to train them up and disciple them instead of throwing out a punishment that wouldn't necessarily fit the crime. So um, it's a great series. It's what we live, um, what we use at the school, and it's awesome. And we've seen tons and tons of fruit from it. How much time do I have? Okay, four minutes, is that what you said? Okay. Um, this last week was my birthday, and my staff and students surprised me with a big surprise party in the community center, and Jerrica Nix knows my love language is words of affirmation. And um, so she had the kids come up and speak to me about a way that I've impacted their life. And it absolutely blew my mind over and over. All I kept hearing is, Miss Shannon loves me unconditionally. Even when I make her mad and I have to go to her office, I know she loves me and she talks to me like I'm a human being. And she's not offended by the mess I made, but she makes me work through my mess. That's what we want. That's lasting impact is teaching them the skills they need to move on and be whole, healed, functional adults so that they can live out their God-given purpose that God put them here for. Um, I ended the night that night with an alumni calling me who does not live in this state anymore. And he said, I've been thinking about you for a few days. And I felt like I needed to give you a life update. And I was like, cool, how's it going? And he said, amazing. My life is amazing. First off, Miss Shannon, can I tell you that I'm a morning person? And I was like, that right there is a miracle from God. Because trying to get that kid to school, you want to talk about championing a kid. This is a kid that... Everybody around me kept saying, Shannon, it's useless. Shannon, it's useless. And it's a kiddo that came from trauma, so he was a, a harder nut to crack, and it took a lot longer. But now, after listening to him this weekend talk to me about how our school impacted him, his relationship with the Lord, and prepared him for his future, there was one thing that he did not do when he was here in Springfield. And so he said to me, Miss Shannon, I've decided I want to pursue my dream of marine biology, but I think I need to come back to Springfield because he had dropped, we partner with OTC, and he had dropped an OTC course that he did not finish well before he graduated. And he said, I feel like the Lord told me come back to Springfield and finish well. So I'm going to finish well. And could I stay with you and Sean while I'm in town? <laughs> And bring my dog. I was like, well, that's a conversation for another day. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, we have so much ability. I mean, so much ability to impact on levels. You don't have to be a teacher. It's looking in a child's eyes in Walmart and asking the Lord to tell you a truth about that child and then speaking that out to them. The influence that we carry would blow our minds if we realized the ability God's given us to truly change his world. We can bring the kingdom to earth 
We can't do it by ourselves, though. It takes community. It takes a community banding together and saying, we're going after this. And he says, thanks for showing up. I've been waiting. I've been waiting. Now watch what I can do. So how do you impact kids? Hang out with them. Get to know them as human beings. Recognize that they have as much to teach you as you have to teach them. Ask a kid when they're struggling. Ask them the motive. What, what motivated your heart to make this decision? Well, what do you think the consequence should be? Most times they actually have a better beat on it than we do. Um, it's, it's pretty interesting. I did that with a kid just recently that I was struggling with. And I, was, I said, I'm at a loss. I don't even know what to do right now. What do you think I should do? And he doled out his discipline. And I was like, that is so much better than I could have ever come up with. I mean, and it was so practical. And even in that, as I've been working with this kiddo, just seeing that he's grabbing onto this and being able to make that connection. Okay, I did this, so logically this is what I need to do to clean my mess up. So ex exchange your expectations for God's. He created them. He knows exactly how to meet them. His ways are higher than ours. Freedom culture is really hard. It makes a lot of people uncomfortable. It is what I absolutely love about Dayspring. I absolutely love it. That we get the opportunity to do life together, even when it's hard, even when it's messy, and it doesn't make sense. We get to do it together, and through that, although you don't see instant gratification with a freedom culture, when it does happen, when those seeds are planted, man, the fruit that comes from them. So, I don't know how long I went. They told me I have 15 minutes. I knew it was going to be tough for me to do that. <laughs> Thank you for letting me speak into you today. This is so good. <laughs> Well, if you're a guest with us, two hours is just not enough to be together. Would you just um, uh, honor us? We've already, uh, the children's department are already watching your kids, the additional amount of time. I want to give our next guest a full 15 minutes. Are we good with that as a family? Everybody good with that? If you need to sneak out, please do. This is also a very special day today. Uh, and that we're, we're honoring uh, our upcoming uh, Veterans Day. And uh, would you welcome uh, retired Lieutenant uh, Commander Jason Bilbro to the platform? Thank you. Baby Yoda's been suffocating me long enough. Well, good morning and happy early Veterans Day. Uh, Veterans Day is on the uh, 11th. Uh, it's going to be up and coming. Uh, personally, this is my second year uh, to be able to consider myself a veteran. It's still kind of strange. I'm still getting used to it. Um, but if I could, can I have my brothers and sisters, my fellow veteran brothers and sisters, please stand up and be recognized. Uh, also, any members uh, currently on active duty or reservists.
Thank you all so much for your service. It's because of you that we get to do uh, what we're doing here today um, in comfort and safety. So this month, as it's been mentioned, is uh, Gather the Harvest. Uh, that's our, our focus, really, for, for what we've been talking about here, here at Dayspring. So as I was kind of reflecting on that and thinking about that, um, as it relates to veterans here uh, in the Springfield area, um, God really put in my heart the idea of sight, the idea of sight. I was a lieutenant working on my postgraduate education uh, in 2011 out in Monterey, California. Uh, and we had a speaker one day who began uh, a discourse on the idea of moral distancing. And what he began to, to get into was his concern uh, with how technology uh, was going to be affecting uh, our morality. Uh, inasmuch as the ability that we have to reach out and take life without ever seeing the life that we are taking. It's very different from for a naval officer who's conducted surgical tomahawk strikes into various locations from greater than 700 miles away, and some of my Army and Marine Corps brothers and sisters who actually physically have to look at the person whose life that they're taking. And many of them shoulder a burden the rest of their lives on this earth because of that. And I ask myself why that is. Now, Regardless of your side on the issue, if, if a woman is struggling with her decision whether or not to keep a child that's growing inside of her, the statistics are, are crazy clear. If, if she is able to see the child on an ultrasound, the overwhelming majority will, will choose to keep the baby every time just because they see, they see the child. In my DNA group, we were talking this past Tuesday, and, and Kevin said something that really stuck with me. He said, you know... When it comes to social media, it's kind of a train wreck right now. Uh, that's my words, not his. Uh, but the, social media is kind of a train wreck. He said, but, but how would it change, do you think, the landscape of social media if instead of actually texting or typing something in, you were forced to record a video of yourself making every comment that you put up on the website? How would that change the atmosphere? I think it would change it a lot. So what is it about all those three things? On some level, I have to believe it goes back to Genesis 1, where God says, let us make man in our own image. The image of God, the imago Dei, this is a concept that has been talked about for hundreds of years. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Does it mean that I can communicate with him uniquely as a human? Does it mean that I can have a relationship with him? Does it mean that I can contain his spirit? It means all of those things. But what did the original authors of this book intend for it to mean? What it meant to them was when something was made in something else's image, it was created to represent that thing. So when I see someone lose their life, when I see, some, when I see a, a, a baby growing in a mother's womb, when I see someone on the internet actually speaking instead of just typing something in, I'm seeing a fellow imager of God who's created to represent him. So let's, let's keep that idea, that concept of sight, and let's go to Genesis chapter 16, starting in verse 7. This passage takes place after the table of nations has been set down. It takes, a, it takes place after the Tower of Babel incident. For Second Temple Jews, that's the most important point to the scriptures up to then. All right? It's not the fall of man. The identity of, of, the, of what would later be the children of Israel is cemented at the Tower of Babel because that's where God takes Israel as his portion. He takes Israel as his portion. And he selects Abraham to start that line. He begins to speak to Abraham. He prophesies to him. 
at the end of chapter 15, he tells Abraham, or Abram at the time, he says, he tells him exactly what's going to happen in Egypt. He says, your people are going to be held captive, and I'm going to free them, and then everyone will know that I'm God, right? But so Abraham has this promise, and at this time, Abraham is 86 years young, all right? He's no spring chicken, neither is his wife Sarai. At this time, it was culturally permissible for a slave, servant, or concubine to be used to further a family if the wife was barren, which Sarai was up to this point. She had not had any, been able to, to have any children, right? So she has the idea. She comes to her husband, Abram, and says, let's use Hagar, and you can further our family line through her. That's a great idea in practice, but there's something that she didn't think about, and that was how culturally it would, how, how the cultural impact of that time was going to work. And that is that a woman's honor was based on her ability to bear children. So immediately, Hagar, although she has a lower social standing, her honor is all of a sudden above her mistress. And that causes a power struggle. So Sarai goes to her husband, husband Abram and said, hey, we got a problem. My servant's being disrespectful. He says, deal with it as you see fit. So what does Sarai do? Well, the scripture tells us that she mistreats Hagar and Hagar flees. Mistreat, I think, is a pretty uh, kind word for what probably went on. Because we're talking about a single pregnant mother who flees, runs away into the wilderness, right? They didn't have any shelters down the street. She's literally, everything was so bad that she literally leaves and goes into the wilderness to fend for her life on her own, okay? And that's where we pick up in, in verse 7. It says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. Everything in the Bible happens in a time and a place and a space, and it happened to real people. So you have to understand this. The angel of the Lord appeared to God. Angel, the word angel means messenger, all right? It wasn't some dude with big wings or anything. It was someone who probably looked a lot like you and me, but he appears in the desert. The question is why? Why? Because we serve a relational God. We serve a relational God. So the angel of the Lord appears to Hagar, and he says, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? God asks a lot of rhetorical questions. Don't think he didn't know. I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress. Right? He's going to prophesy over her now. Go back to your mistress and submit to her. So he's also giving her incentive to go back to a place that she doesn't want to go to. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. He also said, that you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. Verse 12. I feel like he could have left this verse out. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. He will live in hostility toward all his brothers. Verse 13. This is the verse we came here for, church. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. You are the God who sees me. The word God here is the word Jehovah. You are the God who sees me, for she says, I have now seen the one who sees me. How can we gather the harvest of people who don't believe that they're seen? Of people who feel unseen? Who people, feel, people who feel marginalized from society due to the weight that they bore serving our country to give us our rights that we have at this moment? So let me give you three ways, three ways, if you so choose, that you can help us in showing the veterans of Springfield and the surrounding areas that they are seen by the one who sees them, right? The first one I would tell you is the Veterans Coming Home Center. If you've never served there, it's an incredible, incredible place to be. 
There are several of us that are on the Veterans Coming Home team. You can sign up back there if you'd like to go be a part of that. Our next event, as was mentioned this morning, is in, on November 21st. It's a great opportunity. And when you see these people, you won't forget them, right? Because you've seen them, you won't forget them. And it will impact you, I promise. Uh, second way that you can, you can uh, impact uh, these veterans is through the, uh, the food pantry. So Dayspring, we run a food pantry every Thursday from 9 o'clock in the morning until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, the lovely Miss uh, Susan DeBoney back there, she is our food pantry coordinator. And uh, we would love to see you uh, come and minister alongside of us. Uh, in addition to meeting their, their, um, their physical needs, we also have time to, to stand with them, talk to them, get to know them. Uh, pray with them. Uh, we have people that come to us, uh, some veterans that are homeless. Uh, some of them have uh, uh, TBI. They have uh, brain injuries. Um, but we get an awesome time to, to just fellowship with them, be with them, and let them know that they are seen and heard. Lastly, this is not a, a day spring specific uh, opportunity, um, but we have a number of uh, hospice care locations in Springfield and the surrounding areas. Uh, I am a veterans uh, hospice volunteer, and one thing I didn't know is that uh, of all the visits that people get in hospice, 5% are required to be done by volunteers. Uh, so there's a big need for that. Um, the gentleman that I was assigned to just uh, recently finished his race. Um, and he was just, um, sorry. Just an incredible uh, man of God. Um, whenever we meet together, he would, he would tell me that he was Pentecostal. Uh, and he would say, uh, he would say we're, we're apostolic. Uh, we call it the Holy Ghost. I'm like, yeah, we, we do too. Um, but every time that I would go to leave, I would say, you know, can I pray with you before I go? And uh, he would say, absolutely. And I would kneel down and I'd put my hand on his shoulder. And he would start praying before I even got a word out, 100% of the time. And he would just pray for me and he would bless me. And it was, it was absolutely phenomenal. And that, that, that's my encouragement to you is that, that all of these three areas that, that I volunteer that are opportunities for really for anyone, you can go in with the best intentions to bless people, but in the end, you're going to be blessed. It just, it's just how it works. Uh, my life is so much more full. It's so much more rich uh, because of the things that I do uh, for the kingdom. You know, whether I think I'm going to get something out of it or not, uh, every time I, I do. And, it, and it's so, I cherish all these memories and these, and these blessings that I've had because of Dayspring, uh, because it exists, um, but also because God has put on my heart uh, to serve my fellow veterans. So if this, these are some things that, uh, that you decide you might want to be involved in, uh, we'd love to see you out there, and our veteran community will be blessed uh, to have you. Thank you. Oh, that was awesome. Oh, well, Lord, you see us. You see us, Lord. And, and uh, this is what a season to mobilize, to have an impact in the community around us. Didn't you know, love those three speakers? That, that, I mean, come on. Was that just rich? I mean, there was, a, there was a beautiful message in each of the speakers that came up, and I just feel enriched myself. So, um, Father, let's just put our hands out because the Holy Spirit's here. We just receive a spirit of wisdom, a spirit of counsel, a spirit of understanding, a spirit of strength and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And this is the next part of the scripture. Oh, it says, and he delighted in the fear of the Lord. Let's keep our hands up one more moment. This is the big one coming. He did not judge by what he saw. He did not decide by what he heard. 
what a word for this moment. And we receive that, that you are the spirit of truth and that we would be a habitation of the spirit of truth in this hour, in this moment, to share the love of God with the community around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you guys. Uh, we're on this theme all week, so we do have uh, information coming up. Uh, if you want information for any of the things that you've heard today, uh, Sandra's at the back, and uh, love to see you out with us, encouraging, working within the community. Amen. Be blessed.